We rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. And so this is a day of reflection and you're remembering the child you lost or the one who's having a difficulty or uh, estranged or um, today is just sort of accentuating your desire to have children. And, uh, or you wish you could ask your mom just one more question and she's not here. Uh, there's as many needs, I think, as there are in the room. Uh, so I just want to bless each one of you. For the ones who are celebrating, I bless you. And for the ones with an aching heart, I, I want to bless you with a supernatural peace and uh, a deep, genuine hope today. Bless you. So when I'm getting ready for a Mother's Day message, I get a million thoughts, and they're sort of unrelated. And so then I started thinking maybe that they were words of knowledge, and I had a whole bunch of them, but I'm only going to give you three, (laughs) okay? Uh, Because I think God brings it up because it's on his heart to do. So the first one that God brought up was uh, based in this, have you seen this around here pamphlet? We have some back at the welcome welcome bar, and there's 12 around here statements, and the one that is sticking out to me is value the past and reach for the future. And this is the text. We honor the people the principles and encounters that brought us to now. And we consider what is best for the next, but we realize we are links in a chain of God's eternal purposes. I don't think there's anyone who embodies that as much as the mom. A mom who reaches to the children and grandchildren and reaches to the, to the aging parents and sometimes you feel very, very stretched and the Lord has you on his heart today to give you strength. And number two, and this actually came out of my Bible reading so it's uh, quite a bit of scripture. Um, it's mom's no stuff. And... That might sound great, but it's really hard to navigate. Um, And so I'm going to talk about, just very quickly, four moms in the scripture who who know stuff. Uh, I'm going to start with Mary going to visit her Aunt Elizabeth when she's first expecting. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to the town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she explained, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Wow, Elizabeth knew a lot of stuff. I mean, she knew what happened. She knew there's no texts, there's no phones. Um, She knew uh, Mary's answer to the angel. She knew that uh, she was the mother, 
the mother of my Lord. I mean, this is a lot of stuff that Elizabeth knew. She knew all about the baby and who the baby was. And then Mary knew stuff too. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. That's a lot of stuff to know. And, uh, but moms know stuff. Um, it's, it's hard to navigate after you know stuff. Uh, it, here is one of my favorite ones that I, I just happened to uncover while I was reading, Leah. And she's naming her children. And each one that she names is uh, based on her painful relationship with her husband, Jacob. So here's Leah. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son and she named him Reuben for she said, it's because the Lord has seen my misery and surely my husband will love me now. And so that's, she named him based on that. Number two, she conceived again and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord has heard that I'm not loved and he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Number three, Again, she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, um, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me um, because I've borne him three sons, and so she named him Levi. Now here's number four. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I praise the Lord. And she named him Judah, and then she stopped having children. It had nothing to do with her relationship with Judah, she just said, I'm going to praise the Lord. This time I praise the Lord. I have a sense that she had a glimpse of the line of the of Messiah, the a Messiah line through this child Judah. Because when you go to child five, she goes right back at it again. And she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. And then Leah said, God's rewarded me for giving my maidservant to my husband. So she named him Issachar. And then number six, she conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor because I've borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulon. I think she knew something because she named all these boys based on this painful relationship with her husband. But Judah, in the line, she said, I will praise him. Uh, it doesn't say she knows something, but um, moms know stuff. And uh, it's not that easy to navigate. The one that really gets me here is the, uh, in Genesis 25, 23, uh, for... Rebecca, the Lord said to her, she's pregnant with twins. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. Now how she carried this out, I just imagine that had to be plan B. I just can't imagine that plan A was for her to be so deceptive and cover her younger son with goat skin and have him pretend like he's the older brother. And then when the, he said, I don't know if I want to do this because I don't want to get a, be cursed. She said, that's okay. I'll take the curse on me. Um, maybe that was plan A, but that's one of the questions I'm going to ask because 
<sighs> it's really hard to do it perfectly. We know stuff, but then we have to carry it out and we have to navigate it. Uh, we do our best, and then God has to do the rest. I think nobody knows that as well as uh, our generation of, of parents um, who were in the Great Depression and World War II, and they had all their scars. And then the Lord was very kind. They did their best. And the rest was that God had to bring a Jesus revolution to, to swipe in that whole culture of, of wounded kids. They did their best. God does the rest. Um, so moms know stuff. But the message I want to give you today, number three, is it's not your fault. And I'm going to say it again. It's for moms and dads. It's not your fault. Children make choices. They have certain personalities. It's not your fault. But I was talking to my, uh, our, our daughter, um, Anastasia, and she sort of broadened the scope on it. She said, yes. It's not your fault, but you did contribute. Wait a minute. Um, and that is a full picture. It is not our fault. He doesn't want us to be in condemnation. But he does want us to take responsibility for our part so that we don't pass on a tainted stream to the generations down the line. If we take responsibility, hey, maybe it wasn't handed to us that well, but it stops here and we pass it on to the next generation and that's called taking responsibility. So what is it? Is it not your fault or do you have to take responsibility? Yeah, both. And that, that, I think, is one of the complicated dilemmas that we have when uh, holding two truths simultaneously. Charles has recently been talking a lot about already not yet. Yes, it's two truths simultaneously. And this is really uh, an interesting subject to me because about three years into my Christianity, I had decided that the Bible was just sort of like a big eight ball and you could just get whatever you wanted out of it. Drink wine, don't drink wine, be quiet, um, speak up, rest and be still, get, get with it with perseverance. I mean, anything you want, all kinds of, everything was in there. And I was getting confused. You see, I didn't know how to hold two truths together. And so for me, how the Lord helped me to... Now, I'm not saying this, this, this is for you, but he, uh, I accepted a challenge to read the Bible from cover to cover in one year. And uh, I did it, and then I did it the next year, and the next year, and the next year, and the next year. And as the years went by, this confusing concept, it was easy for me to hold two truths simultaneously. And then... After a number of years, the Lord said, you don't have to do that anymore. You could read books about the Bible. You could read, um, uh, like concentrate on one little part and study that. And I, I thought, really? Are you sure? Should I? Uh, and what I realized is that it had been 20 years that I had been reading the Bible from cover to cover. And uh, that was 20 years 
when I became a Christian. I needed a whole year for every year. Um, I, I laugh and say maybe I was a tougher than average case because I, I lived across the street from Anton LaVey in San Francisco. <laughs> He's a Satanist. Um, so those are my, those are my three, uh, three little mom's messages to you. But I really want to treat this like it's not a holiday with special invites, with special tension, you know, thinking like, oh, gee, how do we celebrate the one who gave us birth? Or how do we celebrate the mom who, um, who bore all our children? I mean, it, it's, uh, it's a very complicated holiday. So instead, I want to celebrate it like it's a revival day because that's the re- desire that is really on every mom's heart. Um, revival for your children, revival for yourself, for your family, for your nation. And it's sort of a continuation from last week uh, when uh, Brent and David were both speaking about personal revival. And I hope it's a continuation. I suspect it will be of what Lou will be doing next, uh, next week. Lou Engel, as he's always talking about something that's brewing. <laughs> so this is the continuation message. Um, I, I thought of Lonnie Frisbee's famous Mother's Day message in 1980 uh, when uh, John Wimber's church, the evening message, and um, he called all the children 25 and under forward and said the famous come Holy Spirit. And of course, Lonnie Frisbee was really a sparker and he got things started. However, I think this one was really um, augmented by the prayers of every mom who brought their kid to church that night saying, please touch my child. I just want you to touch my child. And God did. He did touch the children. So how many of you saw the Jesus revolution? Pretty many. I would recommend it. Um, I, I know it's out, you can buy it now. I'm expecting that it'll be up for rent pretty soon. And um, so after this movie called The Jesus Revolution, it, uh, um, Anastasia, uh, our daughter, who she knew Lonnie Frisbee had uh, come to our house and We'd stayed in Lonnie's home, and, but she was just eight years old, and she said, um, now that I have something to hang this on, I mean, I have a, a perspective and understanding, would, um, could, could you tell me those Lonnie, Lonnie Frisbee stories again, and they're going to make a lot, a lot more sense to me now. Um, so I think there's a, like an ordained timing, an ordained... Uh, interest, like when we get a framework to hang our stories. Mary, uh, I, I believe she told her stories, of course, to the disciples, because how else could they ever hear it? She was the only one there who saw the kings or the shepherds or the angels. And uh, so it had to be her telling the story. And I imagine that she told them, and as young 20s, they probably weren't paying that much attention. But I suspect that after the resurrection, they got like a, a different mindset, like, oh, wait, maybe this is part of history. And then... Um, 
I, I think it was probably really augmented too by the, the road to Emmaus where Jesus was explaining it all. I think he started, probably my imagination tells me that um, he explained a lot of things about his, his birth and the bigger picture. Uh, so I want to share some, uh, some thoughts about this season that God stirred from this movie because it, we can hang some of our understandings on. Now, this isn't going to exactly be Lonnie Frisbee stories, which I know some of you would like to hear um, because actually it's Greg Laurie's story, the movie. But, and, but we felt that it was accurate, um, accurate like a, like a painting, not accurate like a photo picture. Uh, have you ever seen the Norman Rockwell um, paintings, and uh, I was thinking of the one where they're bringing out the turkey at Thanksgiving, and I remember saying, hey, my mom had that apron, and my, my uncle wore those suspenders, and those are the same dishes we have, and so uh, that really happened to us quite a bit when we um, saw the Jesus Revolution movie. Um, Charles even saw, he said, hey, you had that dress. I said, I did have that dress. Good job. Uh, and I said, that's what the inside of our, our, our purple Volkswagen bus looked like. And we did a lot of this. And we said, hey, remember one way? Yep. And uh, I was really impressed by, the, um, by their depiction of the beans because everyone just came from all directions into the Golden Gate Park, which was near my house. And so the, um, uh, I have a photo of me and Charles at that time. I thought you could see that just for fun. Let's see if she shows it. Okay, we didn't have many pictures, but someone happened to take a picture of us uh, during a meeting. Now it's the end of the night and all crumpled, but actually someone in the movie had that exact top. <laughs> so uh, you can take it down. <laughs> Yeah, it really was based on a, a, a true, true revolution, and uh, that I'm going to talk about how it actually covered some revival issues. And the first thing, the thing that it covered was this desperation, the desperation of the uh, the, the kids who had the bad drug trips and the disappointments. And I felt they. they cover that well. Lonnie explains it in the movie. He, they have him reading, um, saying this to Chuck Smith. There is an entire generation searching for God. Acid is a lie, but at the end of the searching, there is a void. We are a desperate bunch. Desperate. There's power in that word. We're searching for God in all the wrong places. And if you've read Charles's um, book or listened to him tell many in many folded into many of his sermons. Uh, he talks about the disillusionment of a young person and then coming to Lord, the Lord because he was searching. Um, and for me, I had dissolution, um, dis disappointment. I became desperate after coming to what Lonnie called avoid everything 
searching, and then there's the void. What really catapulted me into, because he speaks our language, it really catapulted me into receiving the Lord was I had a, I had a dog. She traveled with me. She was my companion. I lived alone. She had, uh, she had puppies. I brought her all the way across the country to Maine and back, and uh, someone poisoned her. And then I kept having dreams of her scratching at the door and I'd get up all night long going to the door to open open for her to come back and it really got me thinking about the afterlife so that was what that was the language that would mean something to me how much God is going to speak to your loved one and speak the language that makes sense to them going to get them into the desperate position that they particularly need and that is, of course, our mother's prayer. So right now, it could be pandemic things, finances, health. It really is a setup for an encounter. I want to read this little piece. Uh, I like Dutch sheets. And he made a comment about desperation. Desperation is humankind's inevitable realization that there is no human answer. But that always becomes the womb of God's opportunity. The stage is set. Revelation is being released from the Holy Spirit is at profound levels. Jolene and I were just talking about how high the the revelation is being released right now. Our incredible technology and modes of travel give us the ability to reach the whole world and the desperation of a confused and hopeless populace has created a ripe harvest. We've been called to participate in the kingdom's greatest expansion in all history, and there is no plan B. Actually, that phrase, there is no... Is it still working, Ryan? Sorry. Um, the, uh, there is no plan B stuck. Uh, stuck with me. I was thinking about this in Passion Week when, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, could you take this cup from me? Could you take this cup from me? Um, and... God said, no, you are plan A. And I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, when I said, this seems like so crazy. Could you just ride in on your white horse and, and save us and help us? It seems like everyone has such seared consciences. And I, I don't know that there are some moments that I don't have hope. And he said, no, the church is plan A. And I'm going to use you. So that indicates to me that we really need revival. We need personal revival. And that tells me he's going to do that for us. We talked about desperation, but the other thing that I felt like the movie really, really covered well was this willingness. At Greg's baptism, it showed that he was willing, but he wasn't sure, and then he stepped out, he opened the door just a little crack, and God came in. Um, I think that's, that's true at revival times is people are just... Okay, I think I'm willing. There's something uh, they they use this phrase at the ch- uh, in the movie. See, there's this church, and maybe we could find out together. Because everything that we've been trying hasn't been working. I have to tell you, in 1968, when that movie was depicted, someone said that exact words to me. You see, there's this church, and 
maybe we could find out together. And I think a lot of that's going on right now. There's phrases, there's things out there in the spirit that, um, that are, are preparing people where the hearts are, I think someone may have said something to someone here, say, there's this church, you wanna go find out, go to the youth group or, or something with me? And um, when, he, uh, after Greg was baptized, I, I know it's very hard to describe in words when you've had an encounter. And uh, um, I never really have the right words for it. However, video really can do something that words cannot. And I thought they captured it so well in the video because after, he, I mean, when he was baptized, they show the, a beautiful underwater scene of an encounter and then his ride home on his bike. The wind's blowing and you can just tell he is, he has encountered God. And I could really relate to that because I had a very similar experience in 1968 after this this person said, hey, there's this church um, we could find out together. So the next Monday morning, after I had said, well, I guess I'm willing, I don't know. And uh, you know, I opened the door this much. That morning, when I had to walk to school, uh, was three flat blocks and then two or three blocks straight uphill because I lived in San Francisco and they call them hills, but here they'd probably be a mountain. Um, and it was at the, the top of that little mountain. And I was always weak. So that was a hard climb for me. And uh, I get to the bottom of the hill. I start walking up and I felt just like that picture that, um, that showed Greg Laurie after his conversion experience. The wind's blowing and he had strength. And I, I'm walking up the hill. I said, I have strength. Strength. And I started to, of course, back in those days, that's how we learned all our scripture. We would just sing them. And so, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount upon wings as eagle. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I said, I am running and I'm not weary. I'm walking and I'm not weak. And uh, so, I really... <laughs> You know, everyone's going to appreciate something different about a film like that, especially you're going to see something that, that um, was significant to you if you're older. If not, it's, it's a very interesting, not a documentary, but a portrayal, a story. Um, the, they talk about the willingness of, for the young people, but the movie also shows the willingness of the older people and uh, a lot of the movie, uh, in fact, I get, this is a bit of a spoiler alert. The, um, two of the elders get up, the elders get up to walk out of the church because the hippies have been invited. And one last elder is up, looks like he's gonna walk out of the door, but he goes over to the other side of the church and sits down with the hippies. And he made a choice. We all are faced with a question, and are we willing? It, uh, we actually had a Carl shoe that looked exactly like that guy. One older guy in our young people church uh, in Santa Cruz. So, um, and then 
there was this, the depiction of this older man's choice, and then a lot of the movie was based on Chuck Smith's choices. And his daughter at the end of the movie says something so beautiful. You did what no one else dared to do. You opened yourself up to something that you didn't understand. I dare say we all are going to have to. He offends our mind in order to reveal our hearts. So young or old, we're gonna have a, uh, we're gonna have some choices to make when things start coming our way. And uh, I noticed that um, in 1972, I was a little like Mary, um, the young person saying, here I am, be it unto me according to you, according to your will. I was open and ready. But in 1994, many, a number of years had gone by and I was much more like Zacharias saying, yeah, but um, I know you're saying this, but I have seen differently. You know, I, uh, I've been around block a couple of times and uh, this didn't work out and that didn't work out and this didn't work out. That's more of um, Zachariah's response. And, you know, it's okay if we, you know, at the Acts 2, when they're speaking in tongues, they said some people were amazed and some people were perplexed. Yes, it's okay to be perplexed too. He understands um, the, the issues that, that you're faced, so it's okay if you're amazed like Mary or a young person, or it's okay if you're perplexed and you have questions. They both got their babies, and they both got their promises. Okay, what, the last part I wanna talk about for the movie was um, I really enjoyed these car prayers. And um, Lonnie, we always had broken down cars in those days, and he had a gift. I uh, was giving a gift of a car, but it didn't run. And so he got all the people around and said, come on, let's pray for the car. And that was really a big, uh, that was actually a very authentic thing that we all did because we needed cars to run and we didn't, uh, didn't have the finances to make them run. Uh, if you read Charles's book, they, he covers this story. We were all together um, maybe that same night of that picture, and uh, some friends were down in the River Canyon sharing the gospel, and they came to their truck, and it had a flat tire. There's no spare. There's no cell phones. And so they said, okay, well, let's pray, and psh, fills up with air. They come directly to the meeting, uh, and they're all excited. They come into the meeting and say, want to touch the tire that, that God filled? So I said, yeah, yeah, we came outside. We touched the tire. Um, uh, you know what, that, that was our kind of miracle, and there were so many of them, but I believe there's going to be miracles that are very typical for now, and I think there's going to be an awful lot based on those cell phones, uh, like, where did this podcast come from, and what, why did this song show up? I, it's the, the sky's the limit on that, but I, uh, I also think there's going, to be, there's going to be technological, like, crazy things that happen. Um, but I think there's going to be some issues. We've seen little tastes of it. Um, we went up to Toronto and the, brought our, our, get, our leadership team. When they were, uh, one lady, as soon as she got up off the floor, she starts yelling, 
it's a girl, it's a girl, it's a girl, it's a girl. You see, the Lord had brought her back to an issue of, uh, of her father wanting a son. And the Lord went right to the core and changed that. How much more is the Lord going to come to the core of kids' issues about their gender identity? So we just release that into the to happen, to happen, and to change these lives in a miraculous sweep in one moment, in one time. Uh, another one that we've had a little taste of is um, the, sorry, Something's tickling my face. Um, <laughs> uh, we had a women's conference where the woman uh, speaker said, I think God's healing a trauma of a birth. And uh, the woman knew she was getting healed from the trauma of her birth. And the next morning in the shower, she looked and her cesarean scar was gone. How many scars are going to disappear from all the self-harm in, in, in this, this revival? I, I just, I know there's so many ways he's going to show up. It's going to blow our minds. Those are just the little things that I've seen little tastes of. But it's not just for the younger people because we've sort of been... Uh, tricked into eating some really bad foods. It's unjust. A lot of people have ended up with diabetes. But the last um, uh, healing meeting that um, Bill Johnson and Randy Clark did together, there were three amputated toes that grew out after uh, you know diabetes-related situations. And he has something for every every cultural issue, and he's going to meet the old people, he's going to meet the young people, he's, he's on his way. So I did, uh, I experienced two sort of revivals, 1972, that was the Jesus Revolution and the hippies uh, and the communes, and then it was with the charismatic renewal and nine o'clock in the morning and the, uh, the Pentecost, uh, speaking in tongues, the singing nuns and the charismatic Catholics, and Billy Graham and the evangelical crusades, uh, that was... Uh, all these different forms in 1972. And then in 1994, there was Rodney Howard Brown and his, uh, his, laughing, uh, his laughing meetings. And then there was Toronto and all that about the father's love. And there was Randy Clark who morphed into a lot of healing, um, healing meetings in Brownsville. Kilpatrick was all about salvation. And so when these different forms show up, I... I he shows up, God shows up in more than one way at one time. So there's many expressions. That, that confirms to me that it is God, not that it isn't God. So if you say, oh, well, there was this Asbury thing, but mm, maybe that I haven't heard much about that. Well, I know the Jesus revolution when we stirred up a little bit, but... Mm, um, or there's Lance Walnow, who's always activating an army to engage a culture. Or Lou Engle, he's going to be talking probably about his communion revival. And there's the send. And on and on. All these different portions come together. Um, many expressions at one time. So why are there so many things that happen at one time? That tells me it's God. Because... Um, 
everyone gets activated and everyone is unique. So your expression, the expression of you, gets amplified. So Jolene becomes more Jolene. And Brianna becomes more Brianna. <laughs> David becomes more David. We each, uh, how do I know this? Because in 1995, um, sweet Heidi Baker, who had been working in the mission field in China, had decided she wanted to, she's going to get a job at Kmart because she's just pretty much done. Uh, she had an encounter with God and she became a missionary on steroids, super amazing missionary. So who she was already, she became more of that. And it happened to so many people I know. Denise Wendell came to church and she said, I think we, I need to start a center for champions. Or Jay Flanagan said, I, I think I'm going to, uh, I, I, I just feel I'm more Jay Flanagan now, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to start a prison ministry. And Sue Roby started prophesying over her, uh, her water aerobics class, her seniors' water aerobics class. And Tom, uh, Tom Beckard started having healing meetings and turning his office into a, a prayer place for healing. Uh, everyone became activated. And sure enough, the church shrank. Um, but um, everyone was activated. And so there was a lot of concentration of power and joy, and uh, that caused us to become a spring. So then later, when people came, um, their things were awakened, or something that was dormant woke up when you walked in that back door, um, or something new woke up. I, I, know we, I know you've experienced it. Um, so I want to tell you what I think a picture of now is. And it's a picture that I've had of, my, uh, of a really special day that I had with my grandchildren in the waves. Uh, I never saw waves that were this perfect. And I was helping them on their rafts catch the waves as a grandma. Um, and they, um, they were five, six, nine, maybe seven. And they were really tiny, so they looked really amazing because <laughs> they were catching these waves that were 75 yards to 100 yards long. I never saw any rides like that before. And it was dumping them out on the sand, like push and they'd hop out on dry ground. Like, it, it, I've never seen anything like it before since. And um, we did this for about an hour, and of course, it was drawing a crowd because who has ever seen anything like that? These tiny little kids getting these massive rides. And so this, uh, when I was done walking out, this man holding this five-year-old girl said, could I, you know, could you put my daughter on the raft and let her um, uh, and let her take this ride. And I said, well, actually I can't because you're only qualified for the ride um, if you can get past the opposition. And so when the wave comes and knocks you down and you get back up and then you're hit with another wave, can you keep going? 
And then you get hit with another wave, but that means you lost your raft. You have to go all the way back to the beginning and go get your raft. And can you still make it out? And uh, that's why I want to say I'm so proud of all of you. I've heard your stories. And uh, you are ones who are positioned for revival because you keep getting back up. And you keep getting back up. Keep, you'll, you'll go back to the start. You're hitting the face over and over and over again. And you still make it out there. And it's a, it's a whole congregation of people. I've heard your stories. You are so amazing. And I'm so proud of you. It qualifies you for revival. Um, so I think we are all ready. And we are positioned for revival. Now... I know the, the Holy Spirit's going to call the timing, and I, you know, I was calling the timing for my, my older, uh, the nine-year-old the nine Hayden, he, he didn't want me to push him on the raft. He wanted to make his own jump, and I'd say, wait for it, wait for it, wait. and then you had to wait till it was like right on you, or you weren't going to get the right bride, and so we're sort of in that, wait for it. Wait for it, wait for it position right now. But what else, uh, the only other thing that I, I know um, helped them is they couldn't just like ha- grab the raft. They had to be on the raft up to here. They had to be at one with the raft. And they couldn't hold at the front because that could bend up. They, and they couldn't hold at the side. They had to hold the uh, front sides and then it, it caused them to be very at one with the raft. There's lots of things that cause us to be at one with the raft. Maybe Thanksgiving, definitely, definitely worship. Um, uh, I think there's lots of things that position us. Uh, Brent's testimony last week of, uh, well, I turned off the, the home improvement programs on TV and I listened to revival. I read revival books instead. There's all kinds of things that get us at one with Jesus. Um, that he's going to call the time. So the, the scriptures say that uh, when we discern that there's time for spiritual reign and outpouring of the Holy Spirit, then we're supposed to ask for it. That's Zephaniah 10.1. So We ask the Lord for rain, and I want to encourage the band to come up um, uh, and start getting situated while I read this story, um, or it's a writing from Bishop Joseph Garlington. I'm always um, very much in agreement with what what he's... what he's saying, and he's, he's, uh, he wrote something out about his uh, experience here at Life Center. On Friday evening, February 24th, 2023, it was at our Draw Near conference, we had a significant moment in the afterglow of the service that was absolutely powerful. Life Center was alive with Holy Spirit activity, worship, hunger, and the desire to see God move. And then David dismissed the band, and he sat at the keyboard and played a few phrases of the song, let it rain, let it rain, open the floodgates of heaven. And he stopped... And the church continued to sing without the band and the worship team. 
with the song rising and falling to an unseen, unseen leader, and that continued with a, a, a life of its own. It was marvelous, and no one wanted to move. Um, I heard it continued to midnight. Uh, we left at 11.30 reluctantly. But uh, two weeks later, he was in South Africa, and after a number of very significant um, experiences that they had, that he had about 50 years redigging the wells, um, he wrote quite a bit about that. Um, but he reports about this meeting or halfway around the world, two weeks later. Dr. Toomey began to sing, Let It Rain, Open the Floodgates of Heaven, and it was deja vu all over again. God, the Holy Spirit, rode in on the song, and the service continued beyond the lights out curfew. So then Bishop Garlington writes uh, from Mark 4.26, and he was saying the kingdom of God is like a man who casts his seed upon the soil, and he goes to bed at night, and he gets up in the day, and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know, but the soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, then a mature grain in the, in the head, but when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Spiritual progress, Bishop writes, in the kingdom is in three stages in this parable. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. He said the blade is the kingdom in its infancy I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to celebrate the blade. We are in the blade, and we want to celebrate. We're going we're gonna to sing a song because um, you fought your way out, so you're qualified. But we're going to sing a song because it makes us one with, uh, uh, one with Jesus. Songs like this. So go ahead and stand up, and we can worship.
just want to bless you. I want to bless you with this prayer. God, would you, uh, would you grace us to be humble, repentant, willing, available, obedient, loving, hungry, thankful. We need all of it. gates of heaven if we ask he will come and send his rain on everyone and in the first service I got this when I was standing back so I'm going to repeat it Um, if you came to church today to bless your mom and when you walked in You smelled food, you smelled bread. And when you smelled it, you realized you were hungry. I want you to tell your mom sometime today, Mom, I'm I'm, I'm starting to, uh, to see what you're talking about. And uh, we could actually all tell our moms that. Starting to see what mom is talking about. What a great Mother's Day gift that would be.